Well, God is good. All the time. All right, so this is the final week of our eight-week series on the Beatitudes of Jesus, and it's been quite the journey. Our Beatitude today is, comes from verse 10 of chapter 5 of Matthew, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So we come to the last beatitude, and uh, I want us to take a moment to breathe and reflect and review. Poor. To have poverty of spirit means to understand we can't save ourselves and that we need God to lift us out of danger and death. Mourn. We have been to the depths of sorrow and we have experienced loss and have allowed ourselves to feel this. When we mourn, it's not just that something has happened, but that we let go and allow ourselves to feel the loss and the pain and the sorrow. Our hearts open up. It also can mean that our own depravity and poverty, our own sin, and the reality of that makes us weep. Meek. Rather than stepping on people, destroying them, pulling them down, and lording ourselves over everyone, we choose a posture of gentleness and kindness. To hunger and thirst, we seek hard after right relationships. That's what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We long for it. We want it because we know that things aren't right, but they can be right. And so we pursue um, being right with God and right with our fellow human beings, even our enemies. We hunger and thirst to confront systems and powers of oppression and injustice to, that hold others down as we strive after right community. Everyone say right community. Merciful. We aren't quick to exact punishment and judgment. Even when someone may deserve it, we're not quick to exact that punishment or that judgment that they deserve on others. And we lend a hand of humanity to those who are suffering, who are poor, who are downtrodden. And we allow our lives to be guided by compassion and empathy and sympathy and love. That's what it means to show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart means to be single-minded, to have no other idols, to have no other gods, to be undivided in our hearts for God, that God is first and number one in our lives. And we aren't, we don't have competing 
idols or competing things that pull at us, but first we seek the kingdom of God. And then we see God. That's the promise of the undivided heart. Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We strive for reconciliation. In a world of conflict and strife and division and alienation where people are separated because of ideas, because of race, because of socioeconomic status, or nations are at war with one another, we are a people who are peacemakers. People who follow Jesus strive to mind the gaps. For those of you who visited London, mind the gaps and seek to bridge the separation. And then finally, we come to the eighth beatitude and we look back at the preceding ones and one would think, right? How could anyone hate Someone, like, if you were someone who embodied all this list of seven Beatitudes that have gone before the eight, how can anyone hate you, right? That's like the perfect person, right? I would hug this person. I would want to be around this person. Someone who's meek, someone who's poor in spirit and humble, someone who is merciful and shows mercy all the time, a peacemaker, pure in heart, Right? How can anyone hate or say bad things or revile this person? You would think that the final, and I'm going to rewrite the Bible here, the final and eighth beatitude would be, blessed are you when you live these beatitudes, for you will be loved by all people. And people will speak well of you and invite you to dinner in their homes. You will never experience FOMO. The fear of missing out. Because everyone, you would be on everyone's guest list. And everyone would want to be your friend. And everyone would want to give, give kind gifts to you. And you will, you will rise in stature. And you will rise in influence. And you will rise in popularity. And you will rise in power. And if you're single, you'll be single no longer. Right? And if your garden is fruitless, all of a sudden it will bear fruit. And if you're not healthy or your body's struggling, you'll be healed and you'll walk. And people will help you across the street and yield when you're going before them. Isn't that what the eighth beatitude should say? If you do all of these things, this is what happens? But Jesus actually says the contrary. He says... This is the way, and when you live in this way, you will be persecuted. Oh, my gosh. Here's the hard stuff. We should just all walk out of church right now. Stop following Jesus, right? This is a hard teaching that if we follow Jesus rightly, if you follow Jesus rightly, the end result is you can bet, you can go all in on this fact, 100%, without a doubt, you will be persecuted. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, right? No, I'm going to be persecuted if I follow Jesus. Ah, 
Before we uh, discuss this further, real quickly, uh, some textual observations. Um, our verse, verse 10, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, and then the familiar, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where did we hear this before? We heard this in the first beatitude, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse 10, uh, creates bookends, which enclose the shape of these beatitudes. This is the shape of Jesus' heart. This is the shape of the hearts of Jesus' people. It's enclosed. What it means to be people of the kingdom of heaven is enclosed between these bookends. For yours is the kingdom of heaven if you are these things, if you live in the way, right? This is the way I have spoken. Secondly, um, we've heard the word righteousness before, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We've, hun- we've heard this in blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? And the question is, what is this word righteousness? What does it mean? And if you do a cursory survey of the Old Testament, you'll see that the word righteousness and justice are almost always linked together in the Old Testament. For I desire justice and righteousness. I think our, our psalm had those two words, right? Justice and righteousness. To live justly, to live rightly. Jesus, right? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all righteousness. And so when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, or when we're persecuted because of righteousness' sake, What that means basically is we're hungering and thirsting after Jesus. We're hungering and thirsting after what Jesus stood for, what Jesus was about, what Jesus held as important and vital in his kingdom. When we are persecuted because of righteousness, we are being persecuted because of what Jesus was about. We're being persecuted because of Jesus. We're being persecuted because of who Jesus is. And we see that confirmed in verse 11, after verse 10, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, what? Because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we've been talking about the Beatitudes as kind of the ethos of the culture of an upside-down kingdom. And the truth of the matter is, people don't like you when you live as Jesus. When you live as Jesus and speak truth and live truth and hunger and thirst after righteousness, people react. That's the reality. People react. These beatitudes are the shape of the Jesus way and the shape of the hearts of the people who would follow after him. And Jesus, in preaching these to his disciples, is anticipating his own persecution and the persecution of his followers. Right? So many of his disciples, you can follow the stories and the history and the scriptures that talk about his, his followers, his disciples, who were martyred, 
after Jesus. Jesus wasn't the only person who was crucified or who was executed or who was martyred. Right? Jesus resurrected as <laughs> the only resurrection there, but his disciples after him were persecuted. So Jesus is anticipating this. The upside-down values of the kingdom come under fire in a culture that serves another master and seeks to justify that idolatry. This type of justification is what leads the Pharisees and other religious leaders, the scribes, to persecute Jesus. We see even after this, right? They, they get angry. How many times in the scriptures does Jesus speak truth or do a healing or do something kind, right? Or does something prophetic, does something which the people, the rest of the people enjoy and appreciate and are given life. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders can't see anything else. And they're like, there's steam coming out of their ears with anger. And it says they begat that they begin to plot about how to kill Jesus, right? Those who are following another master react angrily to the values embodied by Jesus. Those who follow another master react angrily to those who embody the values of the kingdom in Jesus Christ. Do you... We live in a world where there still is the persecuted church. In the West, in America, we've worked hard, historically worked hard uh, for religious freedom, for some sense of kind of you're free to believe what you believe, you're free to assemble. I even get, you know, a clergy tax break for being clergy. Those things still exist, right? There's some benefit, some openness to religion, and worshiping as a church. And that's a blessing. That's good. That's good for a lot of reasons. But globally, there's still a persecuted church. I mean, there, these numbers are contested, but um, some say there are uh, over 100,000 people who are martyred for their Christian faith in the world. Others say, ah, that number is less because blah, 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 blah. It's also political wars and stuff like that. It's not all about religion. But we know that there are countries and places where you're not free to worship. You're not free to follow Jesus, right? China, for instance, right, has long... You, you've heard of... You may have friends or people you know who are missionaries in China, and they say, you know, when you write me, write a letter or email me, don't put God or Jesus Christ, right? I'm... I'm there as a teacher or a cultural exchange or an English teacher. Don't put anything explicit about Christianity, right? Say, do code like, Father is doing, is doing well for us. Or instead of pray, ask for this type of thing. That's because to a certain extent, it, it's still, you cannot be Christian, right, in a lot of places in the world. And at the same time, the underground house church in China is exploding, right? The house churches and other parts of the country because the spirit is still moving. The spirit is moving and moving and moving. But this is all to say, to be Christian, there are tons of stories of people who have, are still dying for their faith. 
And I think, oh, we're so disconnected from that because we're not persecuted for our faith like, like no one would be killed for being Christian. And so how, how, how do we step into this passage? Like what does this passage mean for us? What kind of pushback or persecution will we receive in our context in the pursuit of righteousness, in the pursuit of following Jesus? And I still believe the persecution that you and I will experience if we rightly follow Jesus is, one, inevitable, and two, very real, right? In fact, I would say if you are not experiencing some sort of persecution for your faith, then you're doing something wrong. Ooh. If you're not receiving persecution for your faith, some sort of persecution for your faith, then you're doing something wrong. Let me fill that up. <laughs> Will living in the way really lead to persecution for us in our context? I think, for, I think in our context, it's hard for us to be prophetic, right? You hear that word a lot, like, what does it mean to be prophetic? To be prophetic doesn't mean you, you're a fortune teller and, like, God said, you're going to me, marry me, right? Like, that's not prophetic. That's pathetic, <laughs> right? Prophetic is the ability to see the truth of God in a context and to speak truth into that context, right? I believe this is wrong. I believe God is saying this into the situation. So like the Old Testament prophets, right, they spoke into a culture, into a context, into a nation, even at the risk of their survival, right? And, and it's common, like the prophets were killed, the prophets were hated, the prophets were persecuted because people didn't like what they said. Because what they said flew against the values of the culture, whether that's the empire, the nation, the kingdom, whatever. It was God was saying, no, I want this for my people, and you are doing this, and that's against my heart. That's prophetic. And I think when a church lives prophetically, right, meaning we speak truth, into culture, into a context, that church will be persecuted. Amen? That's, you can't get around that. And look at verse 11 again. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, not if people insult you. It's not a matter of if. When you follow Jesus, people will insult you. People will persecute you. People will falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If this isn't true, I know this is true. This morning, I was at Starbucks. I always go to the Starbucks uh, in Shoreline on my way to church and get my tall mocha, right? And today, there was a new barista there. I'd never seen her through the drive-thru, and uh, she looked kind of hip and you know, tattooed right on her neck and cool glasses, and I was wearing my cool glasses. <laughs> and she's like, oh, what are you doing today? 
oh, what are you, what are you off to today? And there was a moment where in my head, I was like, oh, I could say, oh, I'm a pastor, I'm going to church, I'm going to my job, whatever, to preach the gospel and love people because I'm Christian, blah, blah, blah. But you know what I said? I didn't say that. I said, uh, I'm going out to enjoy the rain. And she's like, cool. And I said, yeah, cool. Why? Why? It's not technically a lie. But why didn't I? That's like a wide open opportunity to share my faith or at least share what I'm about. But why? Because in that moment, we know that it's not cool to be Christian in Seattle. Right? Am I just the only one? You're like, oh, your pastor's a coward. <laughs> I was like, why are you even pastor? You can't even evangelize or witness at every single moment. Right? I want to be cool. I don't want to get into some conversation or have the awkward, oh, here's a coffee, bye. Right? I want to be like, ooh, Seattle rain and a mocha, right? And I'm just, I'm just driving on a Sunday morning to enjoy the rain. And she's like, cool. And I'm like, cool. Instead of like, Jesus loves you. Right? And that's because all of us have, well, at least me, I'll just share it for myself. I'm a people pleaser. I like to be liked. And sometimes that desire to be liked is stronger than my call as a pastor and a disciple of Jesus. It's not dying. Like, if I said that, would I be martyred? Would I be killed? No. But there is some sort of suffering that I'm avoiding, some sort of not being thought of well that I'm avoiding in that because I want maybe my idolatry is to be liked right? And th- th- that's a simple example, but there are deeper ways that we deny Jesus Christ because we want to be light, right? Look at Peter's denials. Never will I deny you, Jesus. Uh, I don't know De- who you're talking about. I wasn't one of us. I wasn't in that posse. He denied him three times, and we deny Jesus all the time for whatever reason. Right. Oh, this is an inappropriate place to talk about Jesus. I'm in the education, public education setting. I can't. I'm in the work setting. I, I can't talk about Jesus. It's not appropriate. It's not politically correct. It's not good conversation. I want, peop- I want people to keep talking to me, so I don't want to be thought of as the Jesus freak, the Jesus fanatic. Right? Oh, oh here he comes. He's going to open his Bible. Right? He's going to share us a verse. I, I want to avoid that. So what kind of pushback or persecution will we receive in the pursuit of righteousness and living in the way? I'll give some examples. If we value sexual chastity outside of marriage and fidelity inside of marriage, what will people say? I think one of the things that sets us apart as a religion, as a faith community is that is fidelity, is, is what Jesus has to say about and God has to say about marriage. 
right? And faithfulness. Or in college, you know, I, I used to be like, you know, I'm dating, and we'd be sharing with our friends, oh, you, you know, the sex topic comes up, oh, I'm not going to do that until I'm married, right? And uh, people are like, what is <laughs> like? And that was like 20 years ago, or however many years ago it was. <laughs> two, yeah, that's right, I'm 18 too. But you will get persecuted. I feel, I feel, I feel for our kids that are going through school, high school, college, even junior high, right? We live in a hookup culture. And to say that you follow a Jesus that has something to say about saving yourself or being faithful or being, you know, right in our sexuality, right? That's going to bring up conversation. That's going to bring up ostracization. That's even going to bring up gossip. If we love the poor and stand with the stranger, because biblically, those are commanded, right? Love the widow, the orphan, and the stranger that comes into your land. And Jesus, you know, love the poor, visit those in jail, help the sick, comfort those in need. What resistance will we get when we do that? It's not just outside the church. I mean, churches have arguments about how to love the poor inside the church, right? And if you go to, like, just drive down the streets of different churches, some churches you'll see, we welcome refugees, like, explicitly on their reader boards. Some don't, and you know, you know they don't. But that's a tension, right? You know, if I were to preach right now, like, we welcome the refugee, right? And this is a, or even to get ourselves um, deemed a safe, safe place. This is a safe place for immigrants, right? We don't ask questions. We say that in our food bank. We don't ask questions. You don't have to give your information, right? There's no, no strings attached. This is a safe place. Like, you know that doesn't fly in every church. <laughs> right? That does not fly in every church. What resistance will we have if we say we stand for those things? Because God has a heart for those things. If we say with single-mindedness, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's, there is a truth, not just your truth. There is a truth. How will we be received in academia, in our workplaces, in our schools, right? You can't really say that. You can't profess a truth without getting opposition, without people calling you closed-minded or uneducated or whatever it is. What if we were to follow the example of Jesus and many disciples of Jesus, and we lived simply and challenged the abuse and misuse of wealth and power around us. Ooh, that's where, you know, 
how many how many TV shows are about some corrupt person in power, and then some little person is like whistleblowing, and then like they send henchmen to to kill you or get rid of you, right? That's like our world, right? What if we confronted power and wealth and the abuse of power and the misuse of wealth, right? What if we confronted the institutions and the systems that hurt the poor and said, actually, we need to flip this. This needs to be about the upside down kingdom. You're gonna get resistance. I guarantee you, you'll get resistance. But I wanna say the reason that you get resistance is because Satan, his lies have been winning. Satan has been putting fake news out into the world since the beginning of time. Even in the garden, he said, did God really say that if you eat of the fruit, you would surely die? I don't think God said that. And here's the fake news, right? Actually, he didn't say that because he wants you to obey. He said that because he doesn't want you to be more powerful than him, right? And if you eat of that fruit, you'll gain the knowledge and the power of God. That was the initial lie, right? And so the lie continues. The lie continues. So the way that we're talking about here, the Beatitudes, is not some new concept. Oh, Jesus, this revolutionary idea, let's give him a Pulitzer Prize, Nobel Peace Prize for coming up with this counter-philosophy to, you know, the conventional. Actually, what Jesus is talking about is what it means to be human. This is how we're human. We live open-heartedly. We live vulnerably. We live with our hearts out there. We're poor in spirit. We mourn. We're meek. We hunger and thirst. We're merciful to one another. We're pure in heart. Like everything, we trust God with everything. With an intense gullibility and naivete. But that's the way we were meant to be. It's, it's the lie that brought something else into the world. That, oh, only power wins. Oh, only strength wins. Oh, only independence at the exclusion of helping others wins. Only violence wins. Only taking care of our tribes. Only that wins. And that's the lie. The lie is that we can build something on our own and be self-reliant or be gods in and of ourselves, the tree of knowledge, right? That's the lie. So Jesus isn't talking about anything revolutionary. He's saying, come back. But when you do live in this way, it's going to... It's going to wince, right? It'll probably wince in your body, in your actual body. And people around you are going to be like, whoa, whoa, what? They're going to wince. So this is going to close our series up uh, for the Beatitudes, but it actually segues 
really well into our Lenten series, which is entitled, This is the Way. Because the way, Jesus, the Beatitudes are the way of citizens, of the way that citizens of the kingdom of heaven ought to be, ought to live in order to live the blessed life. And in Lent, we are connecting ourselves to Jesus and saying, I want to walk with you in your way. But you know what? You know what Lent is all about? Jesus is walking all the way to the cross, right? And so there is a somberness. There is a like, oh, this is hardness of following Jesus in the way. We know that Jesus, in being who he was, the drama was increasing. The drama was going all the way to his death. And as Christians, we know that the victory is there, right? Resurrection. Yes! Yes! He is risen. But we still have the 46-some-odd days to reflect and think about um, what led up to Jesus' death and the resurrection. There's no cheap, cheap celebration, right? Woo! He's risen. He's risen indeed. Easter eggs. Yay! Spring. Flowers are blossoming. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Right? This is the way. And I want to remind you the truth of this passage. If you follow Jesus, you, when you are persecuted, you will be persecuted. But you're also not alone. Right? You have a family here, the community of faith. You have prayer. You have the Holy Spirit standing with you. Amen. My challenge to us is to stay in the fight.